Welcome to our third episode of Capital Desk. My, I'm your host, Alexa Tavares. And I'm your co-host, Jeffrey Bradshaw. And um, this episode, we're going to talk about the National Rifle Association, a.k.a. the NRA. And um, we just want to give a brief shout out to our listeners again. Um, we had quite a few uh, last time, and I was pretty impressed. Very, yeah, very yeah I kept I kept checking to see how many plays <laughs> we had on SoundCloud. Um and um, so our icebreaker for this episode um, is what words come to mind when you think of the NRA, Jeffrey? Um, well, weirdly enough, the word that comes to mind when I think of the NRA is Moses because Charlton Heston, the actor, played Moses mm-hmm. in um, the movie and he was the president or something with the NRA. And then every time my mom saw something about him, she would say Moses. So mm-hmm. Moses is yeah. what comes to my mind. <laughs> Very ironically. Um, I don't, I get more of an image when I think of the NRA. I've seen a, a a bunch of uh, water bottles um, fashioning some very patriotic uh, NRA stickers. And sometimes, like, you have girls that have, like, pink water bottles, and they have these stickers, and I just think it's kind of ironic because, I mean, you have mm-hmm. this girly little <laughs> water bottle with an, with a patriotic sticker on it. So that's what I think of when I think of the NRA. Um, last week, we did a survey on Campus Terry just to get an idea of how students felt, and the last question that I put in the survey, which I'm really glad I did because I was a bit doubtful about putting this in, but I put what words come to mind when you think of the NRA and just some examples were um, one respondent said radical, conservative, unreasonable, stupid, illogical, paranoid, <laughs> fear mongering, and uneducated. Another one said powerful lobby. Another one said America, constitutional, bald eagles, freedom, common sense. Another one said no words, really disgust, arrogance, ignorance. And, I mean, you had another one, too, that said normal people who want to protect their freedom. So you got a really, really good range of people Mm -hmm. and what they think of the NRA. I had one that just said guns, dot, dot. (laughs) Like, well, you were very creative, sir. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So we're going to go into, uh, first, actually, Jeffrey's going to give us a definition of lobbying since we're going to be focusing on the lobbying R of the NRA, just in case you guys don't really know what lobbying is. Um, Lobbying is defined as trying to persuade a politician or public official on a certain issue. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, these people just go to the Capitol and try to persuade congressmen to vote for something. Mm -hmm. And there's money involved, technically, but technically not so take that as you will yeah fine line of ethics we are crossing here um the nra was founded in november 17th 1871 so it's pretty old its headquarters are in fairfax virginia um the ceo is wayne lapierre the founders of the nra were william Conant church and george wood wingate it only started off as a rifle club, not as a lobbying group, and yeah. then evolved into the political machine that it is now. It aims to inform, and it aims to lobby. That's basically its main things. There are four departments, basically, in the NRA. Of there, It's the Civil, Civil Rights Defense Fund, Special Contribution Fund, Freedom Action Foundation, and the Institute for Legislative Action. And so uh, to become a member, um, it's actually pretty kind of cool. I, When I was online today looking at this, I was kind of tempted to pay my $25 <laughs> due to get a, get a sweet NRA duffel bag. But you get a duffel bag, you get a decal, you get a membership card. Um, you get your choice of a monthly magazine. Of course, it has to deal with guns or bald eagles or freedom. You have three <laughs> or choices. freedom. Yeah. Um, and you get discounts from affiliates, uh, companies that are associated with the NRA, which is again pretty sweet 
and you get firearm insurance, you have opportunities for some insurance plans that are not available to other people. And uh, you get a free entry to the annual show, and a year membership is only $25, and it increases in increments of 25 So I think two years is $50, three years is 75 And they have other options to be, like, a life member or, like, a like a junior member, I guess, of, like, your father buys you a, your son <laughs> a membership for the NRA. I'm sure there are people that do that. Um, so we're going to uh, talk about the NRA ILA, which is – the stands for Institute for Legislative Action, which is the lobbying arm of the NRA dedicated to any issue affecting firearms ownership. And this is kind of the the arm of the NRA that you hear most about in the media because they are wheeling and dealing. And um, it's kind of lobbyists. Um, if you don't know anything about lobbyists, they're kind of known as the fourth branch of government, this kind of informal entity that has so much power and influence that they're almost a branch of government itself. And there's lobby groups for everything. Yeah, yeah. I there's mean, milk, dairy lobby. There's like the whales wheat and wheat lobby. Um, for every industry yeah. you can think of yeah. or issue, there's probably a lobbyist group for it. Yeah, there are there are a lot of them, but um, the NRA definitely stands out as one of the more um, powerful ones we've that we're gonna eventually talk about that's what we're kind of getting into um but under the ila um it manages the political victory fund which is a pack which is, if you don't know what a pack is it's kind of like this uh middleman that funnels money between companies like the nra to campaign elections for um people who are running for election in the senate the house anything and so this is kind of how this is actually the core of their power is their money um, through this pack, they can essentially buy pretty much votes for a lot of things in um, federally, both state, locally. That's kind of how they wield their powers, funneling this money through packs and stuff. And um, their executive director is Chris W. Cox, who is kind of in charge of the ILA and that sort of branch of government, as well as the Political Victory Fund. And so um, we're going to – I read this New York Times Magazine article that if – I'm going to put the put the link in the bio because if you read it, it does a really good job of kind of setting the scene of how the NRA gets their power. And it, it gives a good background of things that are going on as well, I'm not just talking about the NRA. But anyways, um, Senator Joe Machine, who was a Democrat from West Virginia, um, prior to the Sandy Hook shooting, he was a very strong supporter of the NRA. He's had a very long political career, I believe the article said about 30 years um, he was kind of notoriously known for the the election that he won for his Senate position in 2010 with the memorable campaign ad depicting him shooting a bullet through Obama's cap-and-trade bill, um, which if that doesn't scream NRA, then I'm not sure what does. Um, he was also a frequent hunter, but again, the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting kind of changed his mind and his perception considering there were 20 school children that did die at the fate of a of a shooter, it, it, I think it did change a lot of people's minds, but that, of course, is up for debate. Um, and um, the author of this article, Robert Draper, described Senator Machine's position as, I stand with gun lovers, I stand with victims of gun violence. And, I mean, Jeffrey, we've talked about this before, the issue of guns tends to polarize people. Is this position paradoxical, or is it more of a reality than we think? Well, I don't think it's paradoxical. I think it's actually very real like as you said it's very reality it's mm -hmm. a very good stance because 
for the whole gun rights discussion, the people that want to restrict gun law, like have more restrictive gun laws and stuff like that, want to restrict people that shoot up elementary schools. That's mm-hmm. the goal. Mm-hmm. They don't want to restrict Joe from down the street from having his hunting rifle. Mm-hmm. So what this position, it's very good because it reflects what the real issue is. Gun rights activists aren't the problem. Mm-hmm. It's the people that use guns. First of all, they use them Ill- illegally, and they use them in such a bad way that it makes people very apprehensive about the whole guns issue and it makes gun rights activists look like jerks really Mm -hmm. so i think it is a very good position and it very much reflects the actual issue that we have i I think you you kind of hit the hit the nail on the head as i make a Mm -hmm. hammer motion but um it it does a good job of kind of taking these two issues and fusing them together because i don't i mean like you, like you restated that, you know, just because you're a gun activist doesn't mean you're a murderer. And I think that's something that people don't really quite understand. And But do you think that other politicians could adopt this sort of mindset without really receiving any backlash? Um, probably not. I wish they could adopt that without receiving backlash. I wish that gun rights activists would see this and understand what they're coming across as mm-hmm. um, because it sounds like gun rights activists are fighting for shooters' rights, as in shooting up schools, but that's not what they're doing at all because no one has ever shot up a school legally. Most school shootings are done with illegal guns. Mm-hmm. Like the Sandy Hook one, um, I think the shooter got the gun from his mom who mm-hmm. had it very much legally, so mm-hmm. it's just a very contentious issue. Mm-hmm. And... Um so his bill that he worked on that would require universal background uh, checks, check or background checks for all commercial sales, including gun shows and internet uh, sales, it did not pass in the Senate. Um, not that that would have actually prevented the Sandy Hook shooting, because as you said, that he got the gun from his mom and his mom got it legally. Um, but at the same time, considering the circumstances, not even something like this could pass. Um, how does this reflect upon the power of the NRA? Um, very, it makes them seem very powerful because I believe at the time the Senate was democratically controlled. So you'd think that they would be able to pass this real quickly, but the NRA just has the money to funnel to people to oppose people in elections, and mm-hmm. that's huge power that they have. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they wielded all the power they could to not let this bill pass. On the flip side, do you think if, there were, if uh, they had introduced a bill that focus more on stricter enforcement rather than attacking gun activists and gun laws. Do you think that that may have worked out a little bit differently? Um, yes, very much so. I, they say on their website that they're pro-strict gun laws. That's mm-hmm. I think that's very good for them to say, yes, let us have them, but punish us if we do something wrong mm-hmm. with them. I think that's a very good trade-off, mm-hmm. especially in their eyes. So I feel like it would have passed if that was the bill instead of this one. Okay. Um. The CEO of the NRA is Wayne LaPierre. He began um, work at the NRA in 1978 as a state liaison. Um, He directs the organization policy, and as per usual, he mobilized the NRA um, against Democratic nominees for president in 2004, 2008, and 2012, which is standard operating procedure for conservative (laughs) lobby groups, and it's standard operating procedure for liberal lobby groups to mobilize against um, conservative president um, candidates. He made between $950,000 and $1.2 million between 2008 and 2010, which is a lot of money for— I mean, they have products, but they don't really have a product. Yeah. (laughs) 
I mean, you can like buy a t-shirt, but that's not yeah. how they're making their money. So mm-hmm. that's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, he spends most of the time on the road. He just goes around to advocate for the NRA. He interacts with the NRA members a lot. They A lot of them call him by his first name, which is a pretty big deal because he's the CEO of a yeah. major company. Yeah. Um, one quote that we have that probably perfectly represents his position is, um, the Second Amendment has never been more relevant as it is today. When all is said and done, we may have nothing left but our gun rights. But that's one right that gives us a fighting chance to reclaim the freedoms lost. And so the other pretty much figurehead of the um, of the NRA is the executive director, Chris Cox, and he's kind of their inside man. He uh, worked as a legislative aide to U.S. Representative John Tanner prior to joining the NRA. And his his office um, as executive director is at the Capitol, which kind of goes to show you that he is, he is their inside man. He's kind of like their head lobbyist sort of thing. And he has so many ties, so many connections that he not only established when he was a legislative aide, but has continued to establish and flourish in his time at the NRA. And pretty much his, he began working in the NRA in, nine, in 1995, which was when I was born, so <laughs> fun fact. Um, um, his goal as an executive director executes political campaign and legislative initiatives and coordinates national advertising, which just goes back into the campaign sort of um, part of the NRA. And um, he also has administrative responsibility over the ILA's budget, which is huge, um, considering they have a lot of money. It's a lot of responsibility. Um, and th- Jeffrey, we've like kind of go- gone over like what they do and like all that they've accomplished very briefly, but they seem to have created a winning collaboration. I mean, this wasn't the case when the NRA was founded. It was a rifle club. So how have they really been able to accumulate this power? Well, um, it definitely helps that their issue is gun rights because that's such a talked about issue. It's mm-hmm. so in, it's either really important to you or you don't care about it. Mm-hmm. So th- I think they use that power, that the fact that it's an, an amendment, we're fighting for a right that is in the Bill of Rights, which mm-hmm. is the Bill of Rights. Mm-hmm. Um, they basically can use the fact that their specific issue is so powerful, mm-hmm. and I, they use that to wield it. Also money, just money, money, money. Yeah. They, um, if someone doesn't like something, they'll probably fund their opponent's campaign in the next election cycle. And unfortunately, money can buy elections. It's just, that's how it does. With more money, you can do more stuff, and you can get out to more people, and you can just do more things. So just the combination of money and the fact that their issue is a right in the Bill of Rights is mm-hmm. how they got all their power. I think that is a good point that their right is in the Bill of Rights because you have a ton of lobbyists, but, you know, they deal with, like, really strange sort of topics. Mm-hmm. And here, like, this is, like, this is founded. This is in the Bill of Rights. This is not something that, like, it's an issue. Like, there are other lobbies that deal with relevant issues, but this is, like, it's permanent. It's, and it's been relevant since 1776. Yeah. Like, it's been there. Um, yeah, I'd agree. So, I mean, for those who do, I mean, you kind of touched upon it, but for those who do stand against the NRA, what exactly are they facing, and can they do it successfully? Um, well, most people try to stray, uh, stay away from opposing vocally the NRA, mm-hmm. um, but people that do can expect their opponent in the next election cycle to miraculously have a lot of money. Um, money, like I said, buys elections. Unfortunately, that's how the system works. That's not a reflection on the mm-hmm. voters, really. Um, 
so that's basically what they can expect. They can expect probably not having their job in the next two or six years, depending on what their position is. So where exactly did this power come from? Because you know, it wasn't given to them, granted. And But did they, like, take it from something else that maybe was weaker and they kind of saw it as, like, a, like a power vacuum almost? Or did they create it for themselves and the opportunities that they've created for themselves well they've definitely like i said used the fact that it's a right that we're supposed to have Mm -hmm. we're supposed to have the right to bear arms they've that's i believe where they get most of their perceived power and then like i said money is where they get all their real power um when you really think about it there's not a lot of other gun rights groups except like really specific like open carry texas that's Mm -hmm. only for texas obviously yeah so the nra is only like the only is the only national gun rights activist group that I can even think of. So that definitely helps with their position. And then, of course, it's money. Money and the Second Amendment. And, I mean, do you think this power could ever be stopped, ever? I don't think it could be stopped without removing them from the situation. Like, if we had a constitutional amendment that would ban lobbying, that would take them out. Or if we somehow adopted a new constitution that had very specific gun laws and everyone was okay with it. Mm -hmm. But I... It's very hard to go up against them, mm-hmm. but they I feel like they could only be stopped if they were just taken out of the situation. And so we're going to go over very briefly kind of where they stand on the issues. We've kind of implied where they stand on the issues, but just to kind of like reiterate and make sure that there isn't any confusion because there are a lot of niches in within like gun rights because you have people that are for open carry but they aren't necessarily associated with the nra or you have people that are for concealed carry but aren't for open carry and they're all these kind of like little niches so we just want to go over that really quickly um so they are for concealed carry uh stricter enforcement of gun laws um increased sentencing for gun related violence and anything that pretty much deals with hunting pro hunting good hunting's good yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so they're against pretty much everything that I said above. So if it's not, um, if any any sort of law restricts someone from owning a gun, buying ammunition, um, just any sort of thing, that is pretty much what they're against. Um, And for open carry, they, um, they went, so there was an open carry Texas activist protest a while back and pretty much, they were there were this group that just were openly carrying their assault rifles while they were buying coffee and they were do just doing like normal day activities and some of them had like their child strapped to their front and like a little like strap thing and it was essentially trying to 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 make the point that hey we're carrying our assault rifles we're not shooting anyone everyone's fine no one's you know dying or anything like that which i get but at the same time you don't need an assault rifle for like anything self-defense <laughs> like besides hunting what are you going to need an assault rifle and for? even hunting you don't use assault rifles m- most often that's yeah. just not part of the canon of guns that you use yeah so once again this is a very like niche sort of activist within uh gun rights but um the 84th legislature here in austin c- kicked off with a similar protests and there were open carry activists standing in front of the capitol and there's a very empowering picture on the tribune with them and their assault rifles standing in front of the capitol and 
The NRA made a statement against the open carry Texas protest, saying that it makes folks who might normally be perfectly open-minded about firearms feel uncomfortable and question the motives of pro-gun advocates. Any any comments, Jeffrey? Um, I think that's a very good quote. I think that's exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. People are scared guns, no matter what your opinion on them. Mm-hmm. They're not normal mm-hmm. in society. So it makes perfect sense that it would make people feel uncomfortable because I would be uncomfortable with somebody mm-hmm. with an assault rifle in the Chipotle. Yeah, I would. I would too. Um, my my dad took me to the, me and my brother to the shooting range um, over winter break and we were just shooting like he brought two, two different handguns and there was a guy maybe like, I don't know which, three lanes, like maybe like a couple lanes down and he was, he had this huge rifle. It may have even been a sniper rifle. I'm not sure what, sort of weapon was but it was a huge weapon and he was shooting it he was shooting a target that was maybe like three feet away it was incredibly loud um there it was just like in com- completely unnecessary and it was just kind of like what are you doing mm-hmm. and um, other That's other people hobby though yeah, yeah. <laughs> other people there were frowning upon it too because i mean it's like you have this huge weapon that's meant for like other things, not shooting paper targets three feet away from each other. But I think that kind of like embodies this sort of like open carry logic that I need an assault rifle to do. I don't know to because I can. Yeah, because yeah. I can because of the Second Amendment. Um, but uh, Chris Cox, um, after the statement was released on the NRA's website, he retracted the statement, saying it was the opinion of a staffer. So I guess they had. <coughs> excuse me, a staffer that I guess maybe hijacked the website Mm and posted something. I'm not quite sure what went on there, but that is, according to Chris Cox, that is what happened. (coughs) Sorry. Um, With Campus Carry, though, the NRA supports Campus Carry, but at the same time they aren't diligently in the open supporting Campus Carry, which is interesting. Um, Can you read the... Um, Yeah, on October 1st, 2012, there was a quote, and it says, Instead of controlling access, colleges rely on colorful no-gun signs, foolishly expecting compliance from psychopaths. Such policies demonstrate consistent failure, serving only to render lawful citizens defenseless while empowering criminals to prey with impunity. And so this this quote was actually from David Burnett, who is a member of Students for Concealed Carry, and his article was reprinted in USA Today, and then the NRA reposted it on their website. Um, but so even though, like, they reposted the article, so that's obviously saying that they stand for this issue. But at the same time, they haven't really, re- haven't been openly like campus carry, yay. So is this a way of the NRA distancing themselves from the controversial topic? Well, I think it's a way for them to put their. I think it's a way for them to be a part of the issue without having like their own words Mm -hmm. or without having their own like war for this issue Mm -hmm. very hard they just want to make sure that their opinion is known and i think that's what they accomplished by reposting an article instead of like having chris cox write his own statement or something like Mm -hmm. that and um do you think that the ila arm is acting on texas Texas legislatures on campus carry as of now. Um, I think if they wouldn't, if they weren't, they wouldn't be doing their job. Mm-hmm. However, I feel like their main focus is federal legislation. Mm-hmm. But I would not be surprised if they were talking to Texas legislators. And um, should campus carry pass? Do you think that that would be a, a victory for the NRA? I think any law that lessens or makes the access to guns easier and allows guns to be 
on more space that it wasn't allowed to be on previously is a victory for the NRA. Okay, well, um, that is all we have for this week's episode. Um, Jeffrey has our quote of the week. Um, it's a good quote. I think it goes very well with the whole lobbying theme that mm-hmm. we have. Um, it's by conservative demigod, uh, President Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. It says, politics is supposed to be the second oldest profession. I have come to realize that it bears a very close resemblance to the first. <laughs> and I think that is a perfect illustration of lobbying. Yeah, for sure. So, uh... Filing off the Capitol desk, I'm your host, Alexa Tavares. And I'm your co-host, Jeffrey Bradshaw. Thank you for listening. Thank you.